I just wanted to, to say that, that I'm a nerd. And I'm here tonight to stand up for the rights of other nerds. Hi there, and welcome to Baseball by Design. I am SportsLogos.net minor league baseball correspondent Paul Caputo, broadcasting live, as always, from the Helmet Sunday Hall of Fame in my basement in Fort Collins, Colorado. I am so pleased to be joined once again by the great Todd Radom, the ex designer extraordinaire Todd Radom, who has done so much work in, in so many levels of professional sports. Todd has already been on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, we talked about the Brooklyn Cyclones. We talked about the Wichita Wind Surge. First of all, before I get into all that, Todd, thank you for being here. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Paul. It's, uh, the, the holidays, the year is grinding to a halt, and I can think of no better way to uh, close this out than to be with you. So I appreciate you having me back on. Well, this is it's always so much fun for me. And you're talking about the at the time of this recording, which is a phrase I love to use. We are we are grinding 2022 into into dust and and we will we will wave goodbye to it. This will be, I believe, the first episode of 2023. So happy new year to everyone who's listening to this right now in real time. Uh, we we have we have finally done away with with 2022. It might be the second episode. The reason this is important is because when you were on episode two, way back in December of 2021. We made a joke. We made a little bit of a joke. We were talking about typography, and I said, "Hey, on episode fifty-eight, well, let's just go. I'm, we're here. We're going to go to the tail of the tape here. We're going to. I'm going to play for you the tail end of our conversation from 2021 when you and I promised that we were going to come back and talk about ligatures in 2023. When graphic designers get together, these are the things that we could. Maybe we could discuss what our favorite ligature is." Oh, I mean, that would be going down the wormhole of the nerdiest typographical, I mean, you know, justified columns, perhaps, H and J's. Absolutely. I mean, we could just, you know, yeah, you, yeah. that could be episode 58, Paul. This makes me so happy. I love these conversations. <laughs> Todd, thank you so much for, for being so generous with your time. As always, I really love this conversation. Look forward to many more. And uh, thanks for your great work in the world of sports-based graphic design. Paul, thank you so much. It is an honor and a pleasure to know you, my friend. I wish you good luck with this podcast. And you know where to get me, like I said, anytime. Episode 58, we're going to do it. So that was 2021. And now that we're back in 23, Todd, for for the sake of, of, our, of our listeners here, because not everybody necessarily is a huge typography graphic design nerd, can you explain what a ligature is? Well, there are conflicting schools of thought with this, Paul. Uh, and, you know, ligatures could be two letters that are connected together uh, in the course of, you know, some typesetting. But for our purposes, for you and I and our baseball friends and our sports design nerds, we're going to say that a ligature is two interlocking letters. May oh. not be the you know the the uh, the proper definition if for the, for the real typography aficionados out there, but we are talking the St. Louis Cardinals intertwined STL. We're talking the New York Yankees classic NY things of that nature. And sports is full of them. And uh, I am a, uh, a lover of of these things. Always have been. And it's a great topic to discuss. 
What are some interlocking letter logos that you have created? I know the first one I go to is the Brooklyn Cyclones, the interlocking BC of the Brooklyn Cyclones that we, which we talked about on a, on a previous episode that famously incorporated that Brooklyn Dodgers B. Um, what is, what are some, some interlocking logos, interlocking letter logos that you've created? I'll give you two, one of which is a tough one and one of which was much easier. We'll start with the okay. easier one. Uh, when the Washington Nationals were launched in 2005, I did a, uh, a DC logo, which was worn as a cap for a couple of years, uh, was officially designated as a secondary logo. They wore it as a sleeve patch and a D and a C just line up perfectly. Like, uh, you know, the negative space, there's really, you know, as I always say, no barrier to entry. Another one, which was a little bit more difficult, uh, was the Milwaukee Brewers MB, which was their primary logo for several years uh, in the tail years of the previous century. Mm-hmm. And it was also worn as their headwear mark uh, for 1994-95, uh, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that case, you have got an M, which has slashing angles, uh, and a B. And these things are not easily delivered necessarily. So these are two that the that you worked on at the major league level, and we just mentioned the Brooklyn Cyclones one. At the major league level, obviously there are there are lots and lots of interlocking letters. Uh, I'm going to throw out there, by the way, that another example of a ligature, and we'll get back to the sports logos. Another so so a traditional ligature, like I think of in the 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 glyph set for the font Minion Pro. Yeah. The two the two if you have an F followed by a second F, the first F is slightly shorter. Then the second F, and they are joined. The computer does this for you now, uh, but they are joined by a single cross stroke. And so that's an example of a ligature where it's two letters, slightly different, joined physically, you know, in as part of sort of one symbol. So that is a ligature, sort of one symbol with multiple letters. The ampersand is the letters E and T for et, which is Latin for and. So that's where ampersand comes from. So that's a little, you know, that's, I think, something that, you know, not everyone thinks about when they think of ligatures. Paul, you like, I, I just have to applaud you for getting this in here. And as somebody who uh, much, much earlier in my career, you know, setting type for book covers, right? <laughs> when you or like, or, or an entire book, as a matter of fact, to just, you know, increase legibility, uh, help the flow of the text, not only the look of it, but uh, just, you know, functionality of it as well. Mm-hmm. You got it. You absolutely got it. And uh, the ampersand, which we see all the time, will also t- perhaps just a little uh, tip of the tip of the cap to ellipses, three mm. dots, dot, 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 mm-hmm. which you can type out dot, 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 but properly they're going to be uh, a little more tightly packed in there. Right. And when you use the ellipses instead of three dots, it saves you two characters in your uh, in your tweets. And so you know, exactly got, right. got two more characters there. Another and this is this is combining my my graphic design background with my French major in college. The word oeuvre, the O and the E are often linked together and uh, sort of squished together in, in one glyph, as they say, uh, one character. And uh, that's an example, another example of a ligature. I want to get back to sports now because this is, a, you know, a, a, we've, we've gone the, off the rails. The, the listener good. retention when you start getting into the O and the E uh, ligature in the word over because of my French major. That's the listener retention is, is just, you know, gone off a cliff. Maybe the most mysterious ligature in all of sports branding ever 
is the predecessor to your Washington Nationals, the Montreal Expos. Because this, this, the, the, the Montreal Expos logo is rife with, with mystery and interpretation. And so I know that you have, you have written about this, you've covered this, the Montreal Expos logos, what are some different interpretations of the, the M, the B, the E, the, the different letters that might be in that word, in that logo? Well, I kind of feel like we need to cut to the chase and uh, say exactly what it actually is. Okay. And it actually is an M. It looks like E-L-B, mm-hmm. but these letters, which we'll talk about what they actually are in a second, form an M, which was at the time of its release in January of 1969. It was described as a mod M, italicized for movement or motion. And uh, within there, there is an E, uh, and there is a B, Expos, and baseball, all kinds of conspiracy theories that it (laughs) contained the initials of the daughter of Edgar Bronfman, who was the first owner of the ball club, the scion to the Seagram's liquor fortune, uh, Expos Le Baseball, uh, a nod to Jerry Park. Uh, No, none of those things. And it is, you know, it's Expos Baseball. But, you know, this thing was the source of uh, great mystery and conjecture on my part when I was a when I was a young kid looking at this thing when it was still fairly new. Uh, it retains its charm, even though it hasn't been utilized on the field of play in a Major League Baseball game since October 2004, amazingly. And uh, it's just one of these cool logos that the more you look at it, um, the more you look into it, and it was never really intended to be that. Well, you know, I love that you're I love that you're putting all the conspiracies to bed here. I wish it were that simple with every conspiracy to just say, no, that's wrong. Here's what it actually is. Has it actually not been worn? Have the nationals not done like a, a throwback night or anything like that? Or is it uh yeah. the, the nationals did a throwback, I think it was in 2018 or 2019, okay. and um, you know. Listen, I mean, it's it's been it's been a while since the Expos were uh, taken out of Montreal and moved to our nation's capital, and uh, the the wounds are still kind of raw for some people. And on the one hand, it looked awesome. I mean, yeah. I, you know, Max Scherzer pitched in that game, mm-hmm. full powder blue Expos uniform with the <laughs> pinwheel cap, looked unbelievable. It was so great to see it back on the field of play. But for those. Expos fans that we know and everybody knows somebody, or I certainly do. Yeah. Um, and it was it was a little rubbing salt in the wounds. It was not received very well. What's your feeling on that when say the uh Carolina Hurricanes do the the Hartford Whalers? I don't have the have the Avalanche ever done the Quebec Nordiques. Um, you know, but well, uh, the, the Avalanche, uh, you know, in their reverse retro jerseys kind of pay homage to the Nordiques. Um, I think, you know, it depends on how long a period of time you're talking about and what the circumstances were of that team having been moved, which are generally speaking, as you know, not ever very good, right? I mean, the Seattle Supersonics are still mourned uh, after all these years, having moved to Oklahoma City, where they're now the Oklahoma City Thunder. Baseball doesn't have a lot of recent examples of it because prior to the Expos moving to Washington, uh, the last franchise shift took place in 1972 when the Washington Senators moved to Texas. So, you know, there aren't going to be as many people who would necessarily object to 
the Rangers throwing back to the Senators, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, the the Hartford Whalers uh, being kind of a, a regular part of the Carolina Hurricanes rub pretty nasty in Connecticut. I will tell you that having previously lived pretty close to Connecticut, a couple of yeah. miles away, people were not happy about it. So uh, I think at this point in time, if we honor the St. Louis Browns, who moved from Missouri back in, you know, 1953, I think it's okay. Expos, nah, maybe not so much. <laughs> Does that Hartford Whalers logo with the, uh, the, the W and then the, you said negative space earlier. I'm on a little bit of a campaign to, because negative space just uh, feels so pessimistic to me. I'm on a, <laughs> I'm on a campaign to get designers to use the, the, the term counterform instead of negative space. Here. Ooh, so, I like it. It's yeah. Counterform. Yeah. So do the, does the, the, the W of the Whalers logo with the counterform H, does that count as a, as a ligature in your mind? No, because they're not connected. Mm. And you and I are on a zoom. And if you look behind me on the wall, directly behind me, you will see a 1979 original Hartford Whalers um, logo sheet, a logo slick autographed by the artist, Peter Good, who created something of, lasting value that is universally beloved but uh yeah i don't i don't believe they are connected um whereas again the the classic example of the new york yankees ny where these things are locked up that is that 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 qualifies for what we're talking about today i believe i had the pleasure of uh of of interviewing peter good for a sportslogos.net article uh about that hartford wellers logo that was that was a that was a real treat all right. Well, so that, so we're gonna we're gonna come full circle here. We'll keep talking about ligatures outside of the ones that that you've created. And let's let's look at Major League Baseball because I have some examples that I like from minor league baseball. But in in Major League Baseball, there are more than a few examples of these. It's a it's a design trope, I guess you could say. I hope that's not a negative word because I don't think it's a negative thing. But the interlocking letter is is kind of a uh, a standard design practice in terms of creating logos. Are there, what are the ones that you feel have done it successfully? Are there ones where they, where you feel like they tried and maybe the letters either didn't work or they maybe didn't execute it successfully? Understanding that, you know, I'm, I'm not asking you to talk negative, negatively about another designer's work, but, uh, you know, if there's, if there are some out there that you feel like you might adjust in some way uh, at, at the major league level, I'd be curious to know. Yeah, I'm going to just start to riff on the ones that are successful and why they are successful. Okay. So if we look at the Chicago White Sox, um, you know, that's three letters right there. Mm -hmm. They all kind of fit together harm harmoniously. It reads well. The San Diego Padres, the San Francisco Giants, two teams whose interlocking letters look remarkably similar in the 1980s and 90s when they did not have serifs, really. Um, you know, they, they had flat serifs, nothing mm -hmm. spiky, nothing particularly weird. Uh, those are both successful because again, those letters in both cases, um, really, you know, there are, they're, they're, they're incredibly legible. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. St. Louis Cardinals STL, which I had mentioned before, also used pretty similarly by the St. Louis Browns back in, uh, we could have that throwback game, Paul, the, mm -hmm. uh, the mm -hmm. Orioles who have thrown back to the Browns. But um, even though it's three letters, the T is de-emphasized in terms of the scale. So that works pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, 
just while I'm thinking of it, I did a uh, a, 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 a ligature uh, for the Tacoma Rainiers some years ago, a T and an R, which are my initials. Hey, how about that? That's like so, that's like I want to get myself a Peoria Chiefs hat because, you know, PC, my initials. And, and those are two letters that would lock up together. In terms of unsuccessful ones, kind of hard pressed to uh, off the top of my head, think of too many examples of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, without really, really digging deep, uh, a a hockey one. Talk about the Hartford Whalers earlier. That really did not work well for several reasons. Uh, was the Toronto Maple Leafs? If you'll remember back toward the beginning of the 21st century, the Maple Leafs had a TML lockup, which uh, a T is great. There's great yeah. symmetry there. Again, um, you put an L in the mix, like I said with the Brewers before, and it can kind of you know. Uh, muck things up a little bit yeah. the minnesota twins who recently revealed a uh, a cleaned up version of their tc which i have always loved the tc mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh twin cities i love the idea of it i love the execution of it it's quite simple now it's almost a little too simple it's lost some of its mm. uh charm it's a little flat to me these days you mentioned the letter l and so one that has not come up yet in conversation that I think is is wildly successful. This is a brand that I've mentioned. If I were just picking a team to root for based on their brand. You don't do that? I don't do that. <laughs> Shockingly, Sorry, I, I don't do that. In fact, I, well, so, okay, I'll, I'll come back to the point that I was about to make. But now seems like as good a time to as any to mention the fact that you and I met in person for the very first time at a bucket list moment in my life, game three of the 2022 World Series, Phillies versus Astros. It was the last game of 2022 that the Phillies actually won. It was an experience unlike any I've ever had before, getting to see the Phillies walk all over the Astros, 7 nothing. I'm just going to, in my mind, the World Series just ends there. And and uh, so <laughs> uh, I, was, I was there with my brother and my nephew and my dad. And uh, and you were at the ballpark, and I know that you have been to many many World Series games, but this was this was a first for me. I have not been to I've been to the playoffs before, but I've never been to a World Series game. To see my Phillies win a game in Philadelphia in the World Series was uh, on the same night that I got to meet you in person uh, was a uh, w- was a, a signature night in my life for sure. It was a, it was a great evening. Seven uh, nothing. The place was raucous and electric and. As you said, I have been to many, many World Series over the years, uh, you know, 40-something different games across 20-something different World Series, and there are very few of them that have had the electricity in the air that that evening did. Now, the air led out of the balloon the following night when I got there, but uh, (laughs) we're not going to dwell upon that because for you Phillies fans, it was a... uh, you know, uh, like like finding a hundred dollars on the street this season, right? It 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 truly was, you know, the 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 magical run. I mean, I genuinely did not expect them to win a game against the Cardinals in the wild card round. So, the reason I brought that up at this point is because, I you know, as much as I love the Phillies, I've said on this podcast before, I don't actually love the Phillies brand. I'm I'm sort of so so on the. The script worst, which is the actual name of their font, script. It's their it's their proprietary font. It's called script worst. You know that, of course. the The red and the blue, just you know, like it doesn't really do a ton for me. I would love to see them have a logo that said Philadelphia just across the the chest, the a road jersey instead of Phillies. I know that it's sort of quirky that they don't have a, a, a jersey with the name of their city. Just in general, the current brand of the Phillies. I don't 
totally love. And the reason I bring this up now is because if I were picking a team to root for just based on the sort of brand equity that they have, the colors, the sim simplicity of the logo, but the quality of the logo, uh, we talked about the letter L uh, in ligatures. The Los Angeles Dodgers, I think, just overall have a brand that is one that, you know, like I said, if I were if I were just basing my my fandom on uh, picking picking a brand that I liked, the Dodgers and their interlocking LA uh, is one that I really like. Yeah, I mean, I always say to especially for people who are not geeks like you and I are, and probably everyone listening to this podcast, um, I would say like if you were to close your eyes, the average person, and conjure up in your mind a uh, a baseball uniform a baseball uniform, mm -hmm. you would probably think of the Dodgers. That mm -hmm. script lettering angled up with the tail underneath the opposing color number, you know, larger than most in the case of the Dodgers, yeah. right underneath it. It is a harmonious thing of beauty. And, uh, you know, the, the headwear LA, which uh, kind of got cribbed from the minor league Los Angeles Angels, who existed prior to the Major League Los Angeles Angels coming into that market mm -hmm. and the Dodgers, um, you know, that L.A. there, too. It's it it contains multitudes for something so simple. And it's been tweaked over the years. It's been changed. These almost imperceptible um, alterations. But um, it does help that they are a winning franchise, that they play in the kind of market that they play in and that they are associated with great players and great teams from uh, Sandy Koufax right up to the 2020 champions and Clayton Kershaw. Um, it is a beautiful, beautiful piece of work, that L.A. You'd never want to change it, and it's one of my favorites, and I have a bunch of L.A. Dodgers caps in different colors, including lime green and brown, and it just looks great as one color. I have a one that's always in heavy rotation, a, a very dark, all a uh, navy blue that's almost black with a very light pink LA. Oh, that sounds that sounds kind of great. See, I remember being in Dodger Stadium and looking around and just thinking like that that blue like I think it's kind of a color that you know that I would choose to wear anyway, and and this sort of simplicity of that logo and I just thought, ah, you know that 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 you know if only if only I'd been born on the other coast that might have been my <laughs> team for a long time. Oh, so. and to get back to your Phillies for one brief moment. Oh yeah, uh, there have been several times, including one I remember in probably 1996 or 97, where I was brought in to, you know, uh, imagine a Philadelphia road uniform with the word Philadelphia, mm -hmm. and the fact is it's quite long. I mean, as is yeah. San Francisco for that matter. Mm -hmm. But um, it's kind of quirky, and it's going to be very interesting when uh, advertisements appear on Major League uniforms starting next season. We don't know at this point in time if the Phillies are going to have an ad on their uniforms. But talk about quirky, the Phillies with a, uh, a number on their uniform sleeves, kind of very signature thing. That may like go that. away. Um, with probably the advertising. Will, will go away uh, when the time comes for them to wear a Wawa ad on their sleeves or maybe tasty cake, right? I'd be okay with either of those. I'd actually be okay with either of those. Maybe some Pennsylvania Dutch birch beer. There you go. <laughs> that, that sounds totally fine. On hey, brand. I remember uh, you actually said once when I was talking to you about your book, Winning Ugly, of which I have a signed copy right here. This book is about, it, it's a really fun read. It's about the the some of the 
the misadventures of Major League Baseball uniforms over the course of the years. Uh, I pointed out once that you had included a a maroon Phillies jersey in there with a zipper front uh, that uh, you know was sort of one of the very. I think that might have been the only mention of the Phillies in the book. And you said, well, it's because you know the Phillies have have really done a pretty good job with their branding over the years. So. Maybe, you know, at least their uniforms, this might, this might be sort of splitting hairs here, but I feel like they've done a better job with their uniforms than they have with their logos, if that makes sense. Well, you know, it's kind of, I, I, I think back to having designed that first Washington Nationals logo back in when the Expos moved, always, everything comes back to the Expos yeah. and you say to yourself, what is a national? And in the case of the Phillies, what is a Philly? How do you depict a Philly or the Philadelphia Phillies. Mm-hmm. If you are uh, arbitrarily the Detroit Tigers, you have a little something to lean back on, mm-hmm. right? If you are uh, the Boston Red Sox, you can have two Red Sox. Um, in the case of the Phillies, they have traditionally gone for Philadelphia-based imagery. And let's face it, you can't go wrong with a Liberty Bell in any case. Mm-hmm. They had a very uh, charming 1980s cartoon of, you know, of, of Independence Hall back in the day. And they even had the statue of William Penn um, that is atop City Hall in Philly at one time, the Mm -hmm. highest structure in the city, uh, you know, playing baseball, right? So it's always been Philly-centric. And then, of course, there's that wonderful swirly P, which I think is a really elegant piece of modern design. Team launched it uh, late in 1969, going into the 1970 season when they were contemplating moving to what was eventually Veterans Stadium. They got delayed a little bit, but uh, that has enduring charm, uh, especially for a generation of people who did not see it on the field of play. The Phillies of 2000, of 2023, mm-hmm. are really going to look like the Phillies of 1992. And it was remarkable, Paul, thinking uh, at the World Series in Philly uh, just this past October, having been at the 93 series, and you see images of the 93 Phillies, sorry to bring that up, um but um same result basically same look it's the same look and maybe that's not a bad thing yeah well you know the the brand equity that they have is is one thing and i like i said the uniforms i think the uniforms are good people do love the powder blue too well so okay so now you're talking about you know the the logo the the brand that i grew up with which was you know that maroon and the powder blue and the you know, the the Steve Carlton Mike Schmidt Phillies absolutely and maybe that's just you know that's just sort of nostalgia right which as John Hodgman says is a toxic impulse so I have another ligature that I want to talk about here this is so you you live in the Philadelphia well not the Philadelphia area you live in Philadelphia proper now so so welcome to the greatest city in America hope you're enjoying it I want to talk about uh, something that was a little closer to your to your previous home. The two interlocking NYs of the Yankees and the Mets. Well, and then also the fact that, well, okay, so let's talk, let's talk about the Yankees for just a moment. The Yankees, their cap interlocking NY is different from their chest interlocking NY. And that's been true for many, many, many years. Can you explain why that is? I get this question all the time, Paul. Okay. And the same applies to, well, it used to apply to the Detroit Tigers. And the simple fact is that uh, when the Yankees introduced that interlocking NY on the field of play late, you know, in the in the earliest years of the 20th century, um, there were no style guides. There was nothing being sold at that time. There was obviously no broadcast TV. There was no Internet. 
there were very few photographs in newspapers at that time. So when the Yankees interlocking NY was first, you know, unleashed into the world, long before they won championships, there were manufacturers of caps and uniforms, and the materials were different. The cap might have been either embroidered, uh, the NY embroidered, or cut out of a piece of felt and sewn on to a cap by hand. The same would apply to the uniform. And at a certain point, um, what might have matched at the very beginning, I think in the case of the, uh, the Yankees, started to converge. Uh, if you the New York Yankees had an interlocking NY on their pinstripe uniforms in 1912, for many years they had just pinstripes. You look at a picture of Babe Ruth, he had he never wore an interlocking NY on his <laughs> uniform as a player. Shortly after he uh, retires, leaves the club, whatever. Uh, Joe DiMaggio comes on the scene. The Yankees add that NY. It was teeny, teeny, tiny <laughs> in 1936. It did not match what was on their caps and never has. And uh, the years go by. We do start to get television. We start to get licensing. We start to get stuff that fans are buying that this NY is applied to. And um, in the earliest years of uh, of, of this you know, kind of flight to selling stuff with the NY, there was no real agreement. There was no formality on which of those NYs would be kind of the 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 primary one, right? Sure. Uh, eventually, it was decided that there was a uh, a platonic version, let's call it, that was considered to be um, the thing, and it never matched the caps. It matched the batting helmets. It did not match the uniforms. And to this day, there are essentially three NYs that are officially recognized. There is the cap version, which is uh, the way to tell the difference. The serifs on the Y, let's say, at the top of the Y, are uh, pretty flat. They are almost non-existent. Mm -hmm. There is the, let's call it batting helmet version, where they are really flared out. And then there is the home jersey version, which is quite chunky. It's wider, and there are no serifs at all yeah well you're you're actually leading into my next question about new york nys here because the the mets have uh, they you know you mentioned serifs on that yankees one uh the the mets go full flourish with their serifs on on their logo one of the things that you know if you if you're just thinking about it you might not picture this but the 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 mets have the i'm using my hands here on this audio medium uh the mets have the the divergent of the y they have that happening below the cross stroke of the N, whereas the Yankees have the divergence of the Y above the cross stroke of the N. So that's a sort of, a, you know, just an interesting, nah, it, well, maybe interesting. It is a <laughs> thing that is true about those logos. But the 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 Mets, obviously, I mean, the Yankees are essentially a sans serif, a very, very minimal serif, as you, as you mentioned, whereas the Mets have this very flourished serif. In your opinion, as a designer, is there is there a, a starting point serif versus sans serif when you're trying to do interlocking letters? Is one harder or one uh, you know simpler to work with? Well, that N with the bias on the diagonal uh, gives you options, right? Mm -hmm. And I think in both cases they are legible, they are time honored, they're associated with all kinds of things. I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer. Mm -hmm. And of course, you led me right into the fact that the Mets cribbed their NY quite intentionally from the New York Giants, now the San Francisco Giants, 
who wore a version of that starting in, um, I believe, 1909. Yeah. So, you know, that too, that evolved over the years. The Mets come into existence as a new expansion team. 1962, they take the NY and the color orange from the New York Giants. They take the royal blue from the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers and they make it into this wonderful amalgam, which is their own. And uh, I love the the Mets NY. I love the colors there. The colors, the city of New York was never a fan of the black mucking things up in that case uh, or outlines in the case of the NY um, mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily needed. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I would also be remiss not to add one more thing would be the fact that the Yankees NY was utilized by the New York Knicks for many years on their warm-ups and on their shorts. You could see the New York Knicks with the Yankees NY on their shorts well into the 1980s. And uh, I've never, I don't have a smoking gun on why it was removed, <laughs> but I'm sure that the thread of litigation or some cease and desist, desist thing, even if it might've been grandfathered in, um, said to the NBA, maybe we should just move along and do our own thing <laughs> so that that story about the knicks is actually really really interesting i mean i wonder how many instances there are of of logos crossing sports like that you know even within the same city that's i've i've never i don't think i've ever heard of that that's uh kind of fascinating the, the golden state warriors when they were the san francisco warriors wore the giants sf i believe on their shorts as well and certainly on their warm-ups uh, the Detroit Pistons at one time had a uh, tires-looking old English D. There are probably other examples of this, but uh, those are the ones that come to mind off the top of my head. And again, it was a world where you didn't have, you know, trademark attorneys sending out threatening letters to people. So, uh, <laughs> and and in certain cases, you had manufacturers uh, who cross sports as well. Rawlings would manufacture the. St. Louis Hawks uniforms as opposed as well as the St. Louis Cardinals, that kind of thing. Amazing. Yeah. That's uh, I, I kind of love this one of the, so we talked about, uh, you know, you talked about the Tacoma Rainiers being, uh, you know, having your initials. I talked about the Peoria chiefs having my initials, uh, my mother's initials. And I almost bought her some gear actually from the Kansas city Monarchs, the Kansas city Monarchs of the Negro leagues. And then now of the American association, they have a, a a really attractive, a really appealing uh, interlocking letter logo as well. I really like the KC uh, that the that the Monarchs have. Totally agree. Beautiful two letters that play well together. That little bit of a diagonal kick off yeah. the, the bottom right side of the K gives it a little what I would call visual tension to it. But no, they do it well, did it well. Uh, the Kansas City Royals KC. Um, does that qualify as a ligature? They are actually, they are not necessarily, they are linked together. Mm -hmm. um, the Kansas City Athletics, when the Philadelphia Athletics moved to KC before the club moved to Oakland in 1968, they had several variations of a KC with uh, a true ligature, mm -hmm. um, you, all of which were kind of cool and attractive. So you get the right letter forms. It's hard to uh, mess it up. I think that the KC of the Kansas City Royals does count as a ligature. I mean, they're they're technically connected, right? So I think it. I think you have think to so. you have to count that. Certainly not interlocking. So it's a ligature, but not an interlocking letter. So you know exactly. The, it's actually the, the the truer definition of a ligature, uh, per what you discussed right off the top. 
Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And here that's what I thought we were going to spend this whole episode talking about was the the true typographic ligatures and we were going to we were just going to bring our our favorite fonts and talk about all the the, the glyphs in those fonts, uh, you know, with, with with connected letters. And here we ended up talking about sports logos the whole time instead. So, okay. so Todd, you agreed to do this episode uh, way back, like I said, in December of 2021, you know, and here we are, episode 58, talking about our favorite ligatures. We spent the whole episode talking about our favorite ligatures. So I, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but can I get you to commit in early 2024 to uh, episode 107 on how come the Baltimore Orioles have that upside down backwards apostrophe in their logo? Oh, I think you and I would. I, I'm first of all, sign me up. I will actually absolutely do it. Uh, and you and I, we could we could pui, we could spit like all kinds of vitriol all over it. And um, interestingly, though, um, we can lead into that conversation by saying they corrected it. They had a big home run chain that was going around this summer, and it was corrected on the home run chain. Huh. But that's the only place it was ever corrected. Oh, that's Oddly so enough. interesting. Yes. Uh, all right. We, well, we've got a year to investigate this, and we'll come back in, in early 2024. I do hope that we get the chance to talk some more before then. One of the things that uh, might be interesting to talk about at some point is I know that you have done work on the World Baseball Classic logo, and so it'd be uh, I would love to uh, because that's coming up. That's coming up in March, and uh, would love to maybe talk to you about the World Baseball Classic logo uh, in just a few months here. And I'm going to try to get to the World Baseball Classic in Phoenix in March. So we'll see how that goes. It's a great event. I went to the inaugural WBC back in 2006. Went to the finals, saw uh, Japan defeat. Cuba, and uh, it was really a, a just an amazing event. And of course, we're just now coming off the World Cup, football, mm-hmm. soccer, whatever we call it, wherever we are. And uh, you know, there's no sporting event in the world like that. But uh, to spread the uh, the game of baseball internationally, WBC has done a great job. It's a really fun event. You'll you'll enjoy it. And you created the branding for that. The original branding I did create, it has been changed this year. It's been uh, tweaked, built upon, basically, but uh, an interesting challenge back then, and uh, including several different names that were kicked around prior to it actually becoming the World Baseball Classic. Okay. All right. Very interesting. Well, this this sounds like a, a conversation for another day. We will talk about the Orioles upside down, backwards apostrophe in 2024, and uh, hopefully I'll get to talk to you soon, maybe about the World Baseball Classic. We still haven't delved into the Queen's Kings uh, in, in real detail yet either. There's still plenty to talk about in upcoming episodes of Baseball by Design. And I'll throw this out there too, Paul. We can um, we can throw the Oakland A's with the possessive apostrophe into this conversation. <laughs> I don't know that it's going to take up a lot of time, but uh, it is it is a thing. It, that is totally a thing. The possessive apostrophe you know, it could also be considered. All right, we got a whole episode on yeah, apostrophes. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll episode one hundred and seven. Stay tuned. Todd Radom and I will talk apostrophes. You can find Todd Radom everywhere just by searching Todd Radom's name. ToddRadom.com. You're Todd Radom on Instagram and on Twitter. What are the other socials that you use? Instagram and Twitter mostly. Is there uh, somewhere else? Yeah, that's find pretty you? much it these days. I have. Uh, I'm, I'm. I'm limited myself. All right. Well, assuming Twitter still exists when this episode drops, you can find Todd there. You can find Todd and all of his awesome work and a blog post that I will link to when this goes live on Twitter uh, about Interlocked. What is the title here? Interlocked, Intertwined, Interesting. On September 19, 2017, you wrote that, and it has a lot of what we were talking about here with interlocking logos. 
Todd, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's always so much fun to talk to you. Who knew we could talk for 45 minutes about ligatures, but we did it. I knew it. Uh, great <laughs> to see you again, Paul. As always, I appreciate you having me on, and I'm looking forward to that next conversation. All right, Todd. Happy, Have a great holiday season, and Happy New Year. All right. You too, buddy.